Hello, this is Christy Bates in Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. I have a uh, longer talk to share with you this evening, and so I'm going to keep the introduction portion quite short. Just want to remind you that you are welcome to join us if you're local um, on any Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. at our Oxford Practice Group. That happens at 31 Highway 198 in Oxford. And then we also meet via Zoom on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Central Time from wherever you are. You can find that link by going to deepsouthdharma.org and scrolling down to find the link under the label that says Dharma Contemplation Online. That's currently the name of that Wednesday evening meeting. And then just a quick reminder that Jaya and I will be doing a day-long meditation retreat on the 10 qualities of a beautiful being at Mindful Nashville in Nashville, Tennessee, Saturday, November 9th. Again, you can go to the website for details about that. And so I've promised to keep it short, so I'm going to turn you over now to our talk on the conceit of cynicism. for your practice. I'm going to need just a little more light. Not the big ones, but... And so I think some of you may have seen uh, that the title of the talk tonight is The Conceit of Cynicism. Um, there's a talk that I've been listening to for probably a couple of weeks now. It just it, It's a really sort of um, rich talk by uh, the monk I mentioned earlier, um, J- Jayasaro Bhikkhu. And just there's just so much in it that it, I keep going back um, for different nuggets. But this was a phrase he had used. Um, and I really... Um, so I, there's a couple of things I reference of his in here, and I'll point those out. But just that that phrase uh, seemed pretty meaningful, um, and you know it's one of those uh, I see you Mara kind of things for sure. Um, you know, and for people who may be a little bit newer, I mean, I'll, I don't know if we have anybody brand new tonight, but you know, the at the heart of that moment or series of moments over the course of however many days it was that the Buddha woke up after 
you know, eight years or so of working and wandering, um, the seeing through the force, the negative forces of the mind, is is what unbound him, right? What gave freedom, and so. Mara is that name in, given in that tradition for sort of the negative forces of the mind and it's sort of a personification of, um, of greed, hatred, delusion, uh, shame, you know, that sort of who do you think you are to think that you're going to awaken kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, what we, what we see when we hear those stories and read those stories of the Buddha waking up is that once we know things as they are we are unbound from the suffering they cause Um, now the word conceit um, in Buddhist circles um, conceit is, is in any form is the foundation of suffering and whereas in our culture Conceit has to do with ego inflation. We sort of limit it to ego inflation. But in Buddhism, conceit is the error of ego. Of well, doesn't even refer to ego. Conceit is uh, is the uh, error of ego. Period. It's inflation of ego, deflation of ego. Even considering considering ourselves to be equal to. Even the equal to, you know, in our culture we seem to think, well, that's pretty humble if you're sort of considering yourselves equal to. In Buddhism, there's this understanding that the moment we objectify ourselves as something to be compared to anything else or anyone else, we've entered into that whole world of pain. Um, And that we are not a fixed anything that can be measured and compared and judged against any other um, thing. So the conceit of cynicism does harm in every direction. When we talk about cynicism, we're talking about sort of everything from that tendency to always expect the worst or even the tendency to rely on sort of an inauthentic sense of irony um, for our humor uh, as sort of a... uh, and, and. the cynical attitude may be pointed toward ourselves, our ability to change. You know, it, it doubt can take that form of cynicism about our ability to change. Um, and I think some of us have talked have talked before and heard before many times in other settings that you know doubt will Mara doesn't sort of quit trying once we see through it. It gets it gets more and more wily, right? So. When we, there comes a point where we no longer doubt the value of practice. We see its benefit for others maybe. We may get glimpses of it for ourselves. And then there'll be this other, this even deeper level of cynicism and negativity of doubt really that says, well, yeah, I mean, it works for those people, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just not that kind of person that's able to do that or benefit from that. You know, so it becomes this whole I'm taking on this identity as somebody who can't change um, or who can't do those things that people do who change. And Jayasaro says, and this was the part that really 
inspired the whole talk. It was just one sentence, that, and he was answering a question for somebody, and he says that the conceit of cynicism really is the belief that we are being more realistic when we're in that cynical state of mind. Um, and this is just not grounded in reality. Um, it's actually the idea that cynicism is more realistic. It's just not grounded in reality. It opposes um, the reality of the three characteristics of our conditioned existence. Right? Cynicism flies in the face of our understanding of impermanence. You know, when we really see how constant change is and how constant are the opportunities for change and for shifting directions, you know, in sort of, we start to see, cynicism really falls apart. Uh, this idea that, that that way that we have of writing ourselves off or writing other people off as, well, you know, you know her or you know him, right? And it really doesn't take into, it doesn't leave room for people to change. It doesn't leave room for ourselves to change even. Um, and we've already said we've already said you know this the, the how it how it uh, bumps up against the wisdom of of not self right bumps up against the wisdom of recognizing there's not a fixed self um, but it even and w- which is when I was really reflecting on this and working with this talk it even flies in the face, it even, well, it's not that it flies in the face, it even distorts our understanding of dukkha. It is partly out of cynicism that dukkha gets translated to mean all of life is suffering. Many, many people in the West, and maybe that, you know, my cynicism says, well, you know, maybe some of those translations were done on purpose in that way with an agenda to sort of discredit you know, Buddhist writings, but that, you know, many, many people in our culture have this belief that Buddhism believes that all of, that that the first noble truth is that life is suffering. And actually, dukkha simply means there is suffering. If you are existing in this realm, you're going to, you're going to have your share. Um, And it's not, it doesn't say that's all there is. Cynicism says that's all there is. And that anything that seems good is really just a trick, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, um, and it's really just as ridiculous as other traditions that sort of um, want to pretend that that um, suffering isn't real. I mean, it's to say that everything is suffering or that you know everything's okay. Well. Neither one of that. It's so obvious when we really just plug in to reality that neither one of those extremes are true. Um, so dukkha just says there is suffering. Um, but you know, if you are taking a path to solve a big problem, you have to acknowledge there is a problem. Oh, there's some. There's suffering. Right. Um, so in this case, this particular form of suffering we're looking at is, you know, there is cynicism. You know, it's unkind to us and to others. It does harm, and it's not even realistic. 
So over the next couple of minutes, we'll look at how does it arise. And this, these are just sort of what I've come up with so far. And I look forward to hearing some of your experiences with this. You know, how does it arise? What feeds it and allows it to persist? How is it overcome? Right? And very often the ways that it's overcome are also the ways that we help prevent the re-arising of cynicism. So one aspect um, of a, a cause of sort of cynicism functioning in our lives is that we like it on some level. If it's functioning for us, there's something about that that we're liking. So it may be... So, you know, when cynicism, if, it, if, if it's um, to the degree... And for some people it's greater, for some people it's lesser. But to whatever degree cynicism exists as a sort of a habit of thinking that we have, it provides a consistent supply of dubious pleasures. <laughs> you know, the sarcasm, um, you know, that maybe a sense of power. Um, there seems to be sort of a sense of power in being cynical when we feel powerless in the face of certain institutions, what I know where I work, you know, over the last year we've gone, undergone a lot of changes, a new, you know, set of people bought us out, and, you know, it's really clear their motives are different from ours, and it's really easy to get very cynical about that, um, in the, and it, it's almost like a way of feeling powerful, of sort of pigeonholing those people, you know. So there can be a sense of superiority in that, some lazy humor. Um, and also, cynicism can just sort of carry with it like a... <laughs> for some reason, I'm almost imagining like a constant morphine drip of anger, if that makes sense, right? Not full-out rage, but when we're walking around cynical, it's like there's this little constant, steady supply. Um, so that so we may be kind of hooked on it in that sort of intoxicating way. Um, the second cause is just maybe that we really don't just honestly not knowing better at a certain point due to you know what Rick Hansen calls the negativity bias of the brain. You know we've evolved have these brains that look for problems to solve. And, you know, if we let these brains run themselves without guidance from the heart and mind, um, pretty soon problems are all it sees. And when there's not problems, the brain will make one up. Because the brain, the brain, not the mind, but the brain is sort of this problem-solving machine. And so it really, um, you know, whereas the untrained mind and heart can just you know, it's just a nightmare, the trained mind and heart can be, you know, one of Rick, Rick Hansen's strengths as a teacher is in helping people access all kinds of little practices for taking in the good, allowing, you know, learning these little tricks like, um, you know, that negative feedback or negative information sticks with us immediately. Whereas something positive, we actually have to deliberately sit with for about 30 seconds for it to become a lasting part of our memory. So we, so um, that's something that's really important. Um, 
And then thirdly, it's, it may just simply be that we don't like how we feel underneath that cynicism. And so, you know, it just it functions as a mask in some way, whether it's change or loss or hurt or powerlessness. So I talk about um, sort of each of those um, a little bit more about some practices or um, causes of overcoming cynicism. So one, in this, this uh, addressing this issue of finding that, you know, we kind of enjoy it sometimes. Um, one reflection is that, you know, w- the more we look at what aver- all forms of aversion do in our lives and, in, and in, in this life, not just our own individual lives, but when we look at what aversion does, and cynicism is a form of aversion, when we reflect on the suffering it causes and we see that, it, um, we can see how it keeps us sometimes from sharing our joy Right, if if um, whether it's our own critical voice saying, "Well, nobody cares about that," or we're afraid of their cynicism showing up in them, you know, um, may keep us from sharing our joy or something pleasant, um, or it gets to where people don't want to share fun things with us because we ruin it for them. If we happen to have big doses of cynicism, you know. People end up not wanting to share things they're excited about because we can be counted on to, you know, be a buzzkill about it. Um, so it's one of those things where looking deeply at the suffering that something is causing makes it a lot easier to let go of it. Then when, then when those cynical things rise, there becomes this almost instinctive feeling of, oh, I don't, I don't want to hang on to that. I want to just let that thought pass. And I don't want to act out on that or say that to say that thing, no matter how clever, you know, some of us really love our wordplay, and you know, we have to decide some, you know, is the wordplay more important, or or are relationships more important? Um, You know, and it's not a foregone conclusion, by the way. I know, you know, it's it's sometimes we really do have to weigh that out, but but it's something to look at, that. Um, this thing about the about just sort of our that distort that distortion of our lens being sort of tilted toward the negative. I already addressed um, what Rick Hansen, you know, offers, um, and and you know he's one of those people that you can get an email from him regularly, and it has just like it, it, I think it, the the little newsletter is even called just one thing. Every email is it's like an article with a particular practice that you can use. And they're really powerful um, and simple, but very powerful for sort of really helping us train the mind in that direction. Um, And not train it away from what's mm, unpleasant or difficult, by the way, but more just opening the focus so that that we're not hyper-focused just on those negative things or those painful things. But opening the focus wider to put things in perspective. You know, and then um, Jaya Saro is the person that I got that, the thing about sort of letting words in a stream just sort of fade out, right? 
that any practice that, you know, to see any thoughts that are negative when we're trying to practice meditation or just when we're doing our day and we're finding some repetitive thoughts, this idea of sort of letting those things be just words that are written in water really can help us remember the water's a lot bigger and we, and we don't have to, we can just let that, um, we don't have to hang on to that so tightly. We can let it, um, what's the, what do they say? It, it will sort of, it has that self-releasing quality if we leave it be. Um, With, um, the, well, just one of the things, it's a quote from the Dalai Lama that I like, actually, um, on the sort of sense of, of, um, how, how do we deal with the fact that we don't like how we're feeling, right? One aspect of this is, you know, there was some question that an interviewer asked him about um, how was it that he had gotten to the place of not hating the Chinese for what they did to him and his family and his, you know, the Buddhist culture in Tibet. And, And he's quoted as saying, they have taken so much from me already, why would I let them take my happiness? You know, and so some of it is, is that we are not. You know, very often we will we will find that um, when we're in that place of of enjoying our cynicism or finding finding it hard to let go of because we don't like the feelings underneath, um, it can be really tempting to hang on to it like, well, you know, I have to feel this way. They did all these things. Um, But the truth is that we don't have to feel that way. We don't have to give them that power um, forever. You know, the body's going to have its reactivity. We're going to have our feelings of loss and hurt. Um, But we can make that decision. Um, And and then, of course, there's just, in, in our practice, there is just no substitute for turning toward what is difficult, which sounds like I'm contradicting myself, right? Because on the one hand, I'm talking about not over-focusing on these negative, angry, cynical thoughts and turning toward our difficulty. And so for some of us, it feels like, but that is my difficulty, right? And you're telling, you know... But, off, but the difficulty is in the pain, in the reactivity of this body to what we experience. And that is the, difficult, the difficulty, the experience that, that needs our attention when we find ourselves caught up in these sort of loops of thought and speech and our behavior. Um, and, you know, it is <laughs> my last quote that I'll share you know, it is um, it is so true that it's remembering that this is very countercultural, and so we really have to um, pay attention to how we feed this mind, what we expose it to, who we expose it to, the the attitudes and language we expose it to. Um, John Mulaney was in 
what this comedian I, I enjoy a lot was being interviewed by uh, on his friend Pete Holmes podcast. You made it weird. I don't know if anybody listens to that, but and you know John Mulaney was say they were talking about sarcasm being sort of a cheap form of humor, and that to me that is sarcasm is sort of the you know the if there's a pleasant face of cynicism, you know, that that would be it, right? That enjoyment. But he said, they were talking about what a cheap laugh it is. And, and John Mulaney said, said, yeah, it really is, but it's, but it's like you still can't help but love it so much because it's always a win, you know? He said, somebody can be sharing with you the most important story of their life, you know, something that's really deeply important to them, and they get finished talking, and if you respond with, nice story, right, that's an immediate win. Like, no matter what they've said, what you've done has just trumped the interaction, you know, has just, has just shifted it completely. And so, so there is sort of this, that sense of um, wanting to win in our conversations. You know, I have one friend who, <laughs> I don't care. I, I don't care what it is, and it's nobody y'all know. She's not in here. But no matter what happens, if it's a surprise to most people, her first response is, oh, well, I knew when da-da-da-da-da-da. I knew when I saw him do da-da-da-da-da. Or I knew when I first met that person, da-da. You know, for whatever reason, and it's, it, you know, and, and some of that's just some of that ACA, I don't ever want to be get caught off guard kind of stuff, you know. But, but there is that, that sort of cynicism that I think it is an attempt to sort of be in control, you know, and so everybody else is surprised at what happened, but, you know, but her response is, oh, I'm not surprised. I'm not, that's just what I expect, right? So part of it, too, is opening up to our vulnerability because that's really probably the biggest piece of this, at least for me, and most of the people that I know, is that sort of at least wearing the cynicism a little loosely. You know, I think cynicism is still going to be there for us, but even if we could wear it loosely with a sense, having a sense of humor about it, at least can keep it where we're not so thoroughly using it to block ourselves off from our vulnerability and from other people. Um, so anyway... That is, um, those are my reflections so far on that subject, and I'm just um, interested um, to hear to hear what that's like for you, or what this subject brings up for you. And um, thank you for your time, for your practice. And I'm gonna, sorry, Annie, you can't hear the shares, but. Um, you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.